advice on securing campaign IT from attackers, and old breaches haunt websites years later. These stories coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The 2018 congressional campaign season in the United States is about to kick into high gear, and concern is rising over the potential hacking of political parties and individual campaigns. After all, there is a strong belief in some quarters that the hacking backed by the Russian government of the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016 influenced the outcome of the presidential vote. In Congress, pressure is mounting for lawmakers to act some form of legislation to secure U.S. election systems before voters go to the polls next year. But how realistic is that? As we've seen, the current Congress seems unable to enact any legislation of substance. The first primary ballots for the 2018 congressional elections will be cast in just three months. That doesn't give state election officials who oversee the voting process and individual campaigns much time to secure their IT. While the government might be slow in mitigating the cyber threat, the private sector has stepped up. The grassroots organization Tech Solidarity sponsored a training session earlier this month aimed at congressional campaigns, offering advice on topics such as how to uninstall antivirus software, secure email, and employ two-factor authentication. Also this month, the Harvard Kennedy School Belfer Center published the Cybersecurity Campaign Playbook, aimed at political parties and individual candidate campaigns. The Cybersecurity Campaign Playbook focuses on managing information risk Simply, the playbook offers a course of action to implement sound cybersecurity hygiene that should not overwhelm campaign coffers. Here's Eric Rosenbach. He heads Belfer's Defending Digital Democracy project that issued the playbook. What makes it complicated for campaigns and state electoral folks is that they may not have a standing IT staff that is there full-time until campaigns start to get more serious. And campaigns may not even stand up until several months before things get serious. That's what's a little more challenging. And that's one of the reasons why we think, you know, that's a good place to focus our project. The playbook furnishes a five-point checklist of activities that include setting a serious tone within the campaign of taking cybersecurity seriously, using commercial cloud computing services that offer more security than can individual candidate campaigns, utilizing two-factor authentication, creating strong long passwords, and developing a plan what to do in the event an IT compromise occurs. After this brief message, we'll be back with my ISMG colleague, Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz, to continue addressing steps political campaigns can take to secure their IT. What I like about the guidance that's being put forth here is, as you say, it is common sense. This is the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's 2018 global events will take place in over 100 cities across four continents. Don't miss the opportunity to meet with over 5,000 senior information security professionals and leading technology vendors from around the world to discuss the most pressing cybersecurity issues we face today. Visit events.ismg.io today. We're back with Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hello, Eric. So what are some common sense approaches that campaigns can take to secure their IT? 
What I like about the guidance that's being put forth here is, as you say, it is common sense. But the problem that we saw with the attacks by the fancy bear hackers, allegedly, and other groups is they were exploiting a lack of common sense on the part of victims. Now, in an ideal world, you wouldn't need any sort of information security common sense to repel attacks and attackers. But as we all know, you can be using unpatched systems, outdated systems. You can be just looking at your email and unbeknownst to you, an extremely well-crafted phishing message comes in. You click the wrong link and voila, you accidentally enter your access credentials into a fake website and hackers then have the ability to log into other websites using those credentials. So there's a huge risk facing users who get caught out. Is the advice coming from these not-for-profit organizations helpful? What I like about this advice is it's simple, it's direct, and it is doable. For example, use the cloud whenever possible. They're talking about using Google's G Suite or Microsoft 365. This is huge. These are offerings and apps that get constant security refreshes. And the service providers are also keeping an eye on all these different users who are using them and looking for attacks, looking for the commonalities between attacks. And they're able to lock down accounts when they see anything suspicious and to alert users directly. Anything else impresses you about the advice? The other thing I really like about the guidance is it says use two-factor authentication. In so many of the exploits that we see, had two-factor authentication been enabled, attackers would not have been able to compromise the account in the way that they did. For example, with John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's former campaign manager, it appears that he was not using two-factor authentication. He received a phishing message, thought it looked weird, asked an IT support person, is this a phishing message? Received back the reply, no, it's legit, and he clicked on it. Unfortunately, it was a phishing message. That is the degree to which user error can occur, not just with end users, but also with the people advising them. And this guide gives us some tried and true, very easy to put in place technologies, techniques, approaches, which can help safeguard not just congressional campaigns, but any one of us. A couple of things I found that struck me about the, these recommendations. One was the fact that you need to set a serious tone within the campaign of taking cybersecurity seriously. And the other was developing a plan what to do in case something does happen. That's excellent advice. We constantly see organizations caught out because they haven't dared to think what would happen if they got hacked. Equifax is a great example. They didn't seem to have a coherent response in place, a coherent strategy in place. They weren't locking down stock sales, for example, inside the company, which wasn't illegal, but it didn't look good when the breach came to light and it turned out their CFO had dumped a lot of stock after Equifax had found the breach, but before they issued a public notification. These are all things organizations should be thinking about in advance. How is it going to look when we say we've been breached? And that goes back to setting a good tone on security. Arguably, if everyone is taking it Seriously, when errors and accidents and attacks do occur, and they will occur, at least you can say, we did our best. It seems that these private organizations are filling a void that the government has ignored. We've got Harvard Kennedy School here issuing a cybersecurity playbook. We've also got Tech Solidarity. It's a grassroots organization to better connect tech workers with the communities they live in. Now, this isn't the FBI. This isn't the NSA. This isn't the Department of Homeland Security showing up to Congress and campaigns and saying, look, Russia's trying to pwn you. These are grassroots organizations saying, yo, you've been hacked. You collectively have been hacked really, really badly in the past. 
get your act together. It's unfortunate, I think, that the government is not coming forward with some of these recommendations. And I question why is grassroots organizations or the Kennedy School of Business that needs to come forward? Are we so lacking in information security talent and skill and wherewithal in the U.S. government that they can't get their act together to make email and other systems secure for them to use? This is really concerning. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Like an echo reverberating across a wide canyon, the aftermath of security attacks can be heard and felt years later. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk explains. The steady stream of years-old breaches continues. This time, the popular photo-sharing service Imager says 1.7 million accounts were compromised in 2014. Imager says it was unaware of the breach until it was notified on November 23rd by Troy Hunt, who's an Australian data breach and security expert. A day later, Imager posted a notification on its website saying it was telling affected users and mandating a password reset. Imager says no personally identifying information is at risk because the service does not collect information such as real names, addresses, or phone numbers. The disclosure comes after the data from a string of years-old breaches have been passed to Hunt by an anonymous source. Hunt says the same person who passed him the imager data also gave him Reverb Nation, Kickstarter, Bitly, Discuss, and three other services. The source's motivations are unclear. Troy Hunt. The only thing we could we could add here is that he, he said it was provided by, you know, it was it was sent to him by another party why they would have done that if indeed it is another party you know maybe it was something that they did years ago and uh well it's certainly something that they, they did years ago but they no more useful purpose for the data or they grew a social conscience or <laughs> who knows Imager says that when the credentials were stolen, the passwords were hashed using the SHA-256 algorithm. Hashing is the process by which a plain text password is processed to generate a cryptographic representation, which is safer for service providers to store. Hashing is supposed to be a one-way, irreversible process. But the advent of more powerful computers has eroded the safety of using certain algorithms, including SHA-256. That's true particularly when a weak password has been selected. Hunt received 1.7 million usernames and plain text passwords, which means somebody had already cracked those hashes. Most of the passwords were weak. Hunt says it's possible an even larger data set may have been taken, since what he received were accounts that had the easiest password hash to brute force. But Hunt says it may be impossible for even Imager to determine if it fell victim to a much larger breach. Hunt again. So in a case like Images, the ability to actually go back and figure out what happened and what the real scope of the impact was is probably going to be just about non-existent. Imager's breach adds to a growing number of victims who have only retrospectively figured out they've been hacked, and that means more are likely to come. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.